from Wakefield, it's the Nolan Car Night Show. Invite you Nolan and ask us this week for the two-year anniversary episode of Scott Totten. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And before I introduce our guest, I'd like to say that I hope you've enjoyed the recent episodes as we've crossed over 100 episodes. As I just mentioned a second ago, recently we celebrated a historic milestone. As we re- record this episode then is released, we have crossed an even bigger episode celebrating the two-year anniversary, and who better to have on as our guest than the man to my left, joining us all the way from the Sunshine State, not only is he a sultan with six shreds on the guitar, but a mighty cool dude, when he's not playing with the boys at the beach or telling you of the stories of old Betsy herself, you can find him either serving up some heat on the tennis court or spending time with his family, or ta- talking, taking some time out of his busy schedule when the rent is not due to talk to yours truly. It is both a pleasure and honor to welcome Scott Totten to the show as our guest this week. Scott, how are you? Hey, thank you very much. What a great intro. Hey, well, I, I, I try my best. That's that's the first part of it. As, as I said before we got going, you know, I, I appreciate immensely for you to come on and do this. You know, I've had other people from the Beach Boys group, both during your time there and prior and elsewhere, so this is a big treat. So thanks again. My pleasure. Glad I could do it. Glad we worked it out. Well, the last, I, I sort of want to start with this one. One, at least, sad part of it, but then get, quickly jump to the happier sections of it. The last few years, as you know, and you've had front row experience, the music industry, industry has had a, uh, has been affected greatly by the last three years of craziness and wildness. And from your perspective now, three years later, to be going back out and sort of have everything sort of quote-unquote in the back scene of things, what's it been like? Yeah, it was it was tough there at first. I mean, all of our shows got canceled, and and there was there was no other kind of show that you could do while you waited. You know, uh, so many musicians I knew, a lot of them, <clears throat> of a certain age, just retired from music or they yeah. went and found a new career because there were just we didn't know when we were going to get back to working. So, um, I always knew that uh, when when it was safe to do so, Mike would be raring to go, itching <laughs> to get back out there, and and I was right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we've been out there working, hitting it pretty hard for the last year and a half or so. One question I like to ask, and I always enjoy the answer people give, is this. What's one thing Scott Tom has learned about himself in the last few years that he didn't know about himself prior? Oh, um, that, um, I mean, I, I restart, as you mentioned, I started playing tennis again. Um, I don't know if that's something about myself, but, you know, I played tennis in high school and then, I started doing music and I didn't play tennis for a long time. And so when there was no gigs or anything and yeah. I couldn't work, I said, well, what am I going to do? Well, yeah. I guess I'll play tennis again. And that's yeah. been a lot of fun. And I've really gotten into it. I've gotten in good shape. I've met a whole group of new people, made some new friends. And that's been that's been a really good thing to come out of COVID. Sure. Well, tennis has been part of my life since a child. You know, my, my dad teaches at the men's high school team in my town for the last Two decades, my grandfather uh, coached forever, so tennis has always been a part of me. So I can understand the sense that it's a sport that you have, you have for life. You know, you can be playing it. You know, I, my grandfather's 85 and he still plays multiple times per week. Whereas you can't be doing that like Tom Brady playing football till he's <laughs> till he's 50. But it's it's all about a, a mindset, I guess. I sort of want to you know start like this. You know, clearly you have an ability as a musician that, that's you know different than maybe others as well at what point do you remember growing up with music that it, you could possibly do something post high school not you know just some rinky dinky band um i kind of started late later than other musicians i mean i started playing clarinet in junior high school did that for a couple of years and then 
when high school started, I just played tennis at first, and then a friend of mine, I really loved the Beatles, and a friend of mine was putting together a Beatles band and said he needed a bass player. So I said, I'll do it. You know, I never played a bass, but I'll do it. You know, yeah. how hard could it be? You know, and um, that's kind of when I started to play guitar. So it wasn't until I was already going to college yeah. in California for something else that I started to feel like, oh, I could do music instead of pre-law or whatever I was going to do. So does, is that is that what you're asking? Does that answer your I know, question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's always, I'm always curious about that because, you know, like other sports, you sort, like sports you can sort of tell from an early age you can do it and sort of supersede other talents than music. And I'm sure it's a similar same thing. At, 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 one po- at what point, you know, the Beach Boys being a, your fan, obviously you play with them to this day the last 22 years, you're fans of, I'm sure, other music. You said the Beatles and I think the Monkees as well and several other acts. Where were the Beach Boys on your peripheral vision, seeing as you sort of grew up with them during the Endless Summer period? They were, you know, front and center. I mean, growing up, I grew up in Southern California, and even if, okay, say it was the 70s, and Help Me Rhonda was a hit in 65, but in 1973 and 74, it was still on the radio all the yeah. time in Southern California, you know, and all those songs were in pretty heavy rotation. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up on that stuff. As you said, Endless Summer, I remember getting that big, crazy drawing LP cover and looking yeah. at it and listening to those songs. And, you know, so many great songs on that, yeah. my collection. And then um, then I went to Berklee College of Music and studied, learned how to play some, you know, jazz harmony stuff and some different styles of music. But I remember when I... Uh, moved back to California in the 90s, and the Pet Sounds box set had come out. And this is way before I had anything to do with the Beach Boys. Yeah, Couldn't wait to get that box set. And when I heard the vocals-only versions, I mean, I had to just sit down. I was, like, stunned, you know, at how yeah. perfect and beautiful the vocals were. So uh, so I was a student of, uh, of and a fan of the Beach Boys long before I had a chance to play with those guys. Yeah. Growing up with Endless Summer, that's one thing, sort of the, the greatest hits of, of the band. But there's also some other albums from that period, obviously Call on the Passion, Pollen, Sunflower, those albums which have recently and soon to be released on box set. What did that music mean to you at that point if you were listening to that type of music from the Beach Boys? I think, to be honest with you, I was less exposed to that stuff. I was heavily exposed to the early stuff and less exposed. I think in that, that time... Um, of my life, I was just doing other things and listening to other yeah. things. I mean, like I always tell you know, my wife, she really knows 80s music. And yeah. in the 80s, I, you know, I was studying and practicing. Yeah. I didn't listen to the radio. So I'm like, what song is that? I never heard that. She's like, are you kidding? This was a huge hit. So yeah. so I think I think I just kind of missed some of that stuff a little bit. And it's been it's been fun for me to have to go back and listen to it sure. later on and hear some of that, some of those you know, great songs and great performances. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the new box set of the Call on the Passion Pollen because there's a lot of albums, uh, songs particularly on the Call on the Passions album, some of them being played on the 50th anniversary. I'm sure some you still play today that are really heart-wrenching and, and touch your soul in the sense. And a lot of them, you know, Dennis vocals on this, all this is that, what are Mike's key vocal yeah. songs with, with with Carl. That music, Call on the Passion, so tough. And Sunflower, obviously it's being you know brought back out to the limelight and people are now really appreciating compared to maybe how it was years ago when it was first released. To play it now, now that it's being re-released in this form, what's it like as a musician, but also as an academically studied musician? Like I said, it's it's um, it's always fun. I mean, if you've, you know, like I, you mentioned, I've been with the band for 22 years. So, you know, after a few years, and it's nice when, when you get the opportunity to work sure. up a new, a new song or a song you guys haven't done before. 
Um, and then you have to study it and you have to rehearse it and you got to get everybody on the same page. And so that's sometimes that's a nice challenge. I will say, um, in general, generally speaking, the audiences that come to see the Beach Boys, our, our group, are kind of general fans. They're sure. not, it's not usually full of really deep, deep cut yeah. fans. And so when you do a deep cut or two, a lot of times it's kind of like they're, you know, you could see them going, what song is that? You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that one. So you have to be careful not to go too far sure. or too long and have them feel like they, they're at the wrong show. You're like, oh, what did I get tickets to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, which is not to take anything away from these, these great songs, just sure. that they, you know, they, they don't, you know, not everybody knows them as well. Sure. And there's probably a certain p a point that you can play it and then it's sort of like, let's put other songs, let's substitute other songs. So you're not driving away fans because obviously you want to be able to keep the lights on, the energy going throughout yeah. the uh, house. You, you mentioned Berkeley attending there for, for music. Other people I'm sure your age and from your generation went, and I'm not just saying that that period, but I'm sure previously and afterwards from you, maybe just stick to just playing music and working their way up to then getting into a, a big situation like the Beach Boys. For you, going to school, Berkeley, the most prestigious probably music school out there, why was that important to you in terms of your musical route? Um, yeah, that's a good question. When I was in California, I mentioned I was in California and studying, I was actually pre-law for a couple of years. I started taking some music classes and I, and I just found that I had an affinity for it. I had, like, I don't want to say a talent, but, you know, I, I had, even though I'd only been playing a couple of years, but my ear could hear things that other people couldn't hear as, as quickly. And so I realized that, you know, well, I could, you know, this, this is something for me. So I went to talk to the department head at the school and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to college. I want to go to a college, you know, because Musicians Institute, MI, yeah. GSU, whatever you call it, was out there. But at that time, I don't know about now, they didn't offer a degree. So I wanted, I was going to college and I was hopefully going to get a degree. And so the choices in California were like USC and things like that, which give you a very traditional music education, which is to say classically based. Yeah. And uh, I was more, uh, still am, a pop rock kind of guitar player with, you know, with a little, my, dip my toe in that, dip my yeah. toe in that, but I am what I am. Sure. So my teacher said, or my, my advisor said, check out Berklee College of Music in Boston because they do more um, commercial music. So that's why I went to Berklee, so that I could learn some more um, contemporary commercial sure. styles. How much of that, though, do you think, gave you a greater appreciation for the music for the beach boys music seeing as a lot of the earlier 60s stuff especially pet sounds is really advanced does that give you greater appreciation compared to maybe others who didn't take the same route i can't i can't say what another student did or what happens at another school but i know that going to berkeley um you know a lot of the things i did was ear training so i really worked on my ear and the other thing was you have to take some arranging even if you don't think you're going to arrange anything which i ended up having to arrange but but um, if, even if you don't think you're ever going to arrange, you have to take these classes in three-part, four-part arrangements. And, you know, to me, a lot of the Beach Boy songs from, from 65 on, yeah. Brian uses the voices kind of like trombones or saxophones, you know? They're, you can hear it. You, it's the same kind of voicing. And, and so it, it really, I think that really did help. It really did help me to, to be able to listen and hear what's happening and, and understand why Brian did that, even if he didn't understand why he was doing it. Sure. Um, 
I had a colleague of yours, Philip Bardwell, on here a while ago, and he's, I asked him this question, as well as Bobby Figs and a few other guys from the Beach Boys, about their sort of journey post the school, whatever it may be, and perseverance and at, to get into the music industry. After graduating college and sure you're doing small gigs, bar mitzvahs, and parties and things of that nature, knowing your ability as a musician, how did you find the perseverance and willpower to you know, keep pushing forward to then eventually get to that spot where you're getting the Beach Boys gig? Well, you know, I don't want to take too much credit for getting the Beach Boys gig. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I consider myself to be very lucky. And when I say lucky, I mean, you know, I had an opportunity, but then I made the most of the opportunity. That's sure. the key. Like, you know, just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you're going to succeed at it. So sure. the fact that I've succeeded this much, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had a the opportunity to try out. But there's a lot of musicians who are far better than, than I am that don't don't ever get that chance. So, you know, I want to make sure I express that. But to get to your question, I mean, I was in my 20s and living in New York City and like you said, doing a little of this, a little of that, and you get a chance to do something a step up. And next thing you know, I'm playing in a wedding band. And then the next thing you know, I'm subbing on Broadway shows. And the next thing you know, I'm doing recording sessions. And the next thing you know, I'm on tour with the show Tommy, which was great fun and a great band. And, uh, and then fast forward a few more years and I hear the Beach Boys are looking yeah. for a guitar player. And fast forward 22 <laughs> years, here we are talking right now. So. Uh, for that though, I mean, obviously that's, that's a moment, and not when I say luck, but maybe you're in the right spot at the right time and you're taking advantage of the moments like you said. Could yeah. you tell prior to Broadway and then the Beach Boys that you know you were moving up in the music world, or was it just the moment of, you know, okay, here's this gig, and I'm going to take this, and hopefully this can help me push along further in my music abilities? I think, you know, as I recall in those days, because it's been a few years now, but um, as I recall in those days, you know, I'm living in New York, and, and really my goal was just to scratch together a living, you know? Sure. So if, if, you, if you decide you're going to be a full-time musician – and you're living in New York City, you just got to, you know, keep keep booking dates, whatever yeah. it is, keep doing whatever, okay, I'll take that gig, that pays how much, I'll do that, and hope that it adds up to a living, and then if you do well, when you get a shot, then your name gets spread around, and you get called, you know, well, could you possibly come sell on my show, or could you come do this, et cetera, et cetera, you know, so it, it, I didn't really... I think when I was a kid, I, I, I know when I was a kid, I dreamed of being a studio musician. So guys like Tommy Tedesco and Larry Carlton were my hero. I mean, these, these are guys who just come in, sit down, read, make a hit record or do a movie soundtrack, then go to do another one. And then at the end of the day, they go home. Sure. Always amazed me how great those guys are. So that's kind of what I'd hoped would happen. Sure. And um, it's not what happened. <laughs> But that's okay. Yes, something bad though happened. I mean, you traveled <laughs> the world at Royal Albert Hall, 50th anniversary of the Beach Boys. I, I think you succeeded uh, quite a, a bit. You know, you talk about how the Beach Boys were the forefront of your musical listening as a kid, and Gary Griffin who, and Stephen Clinch have been on here. They've talked about how when they were a kid, they always wanted to work with the Beach Boys or Brian Wilson, whoever it was, and that was their goal. And obviously, they ended up doing that. After you know, once you get once you're getting gigs and you're out of college, did you have that goal on your bucket list, or was that not even near it? In general, no. I mean, I just, like, I, as I said, I was just trying to, you know, do this and do that. I ended up uh, doing some Broadway tours like The Who's Tommy and Rent and things like that. And um, when I met uh, Alicia, my wife, we were living in L.A. And um, 
we got a chance to go see Brian Wilson perform at the Hollywood Bowl. I believe that that was November of 2000. And, you know, what a thrill for me to see Brian Wilson. Sure. And of course, his band with all those guys, you yeah. know, I didn't know, didn't know any of them, but I was like, wow, you listen to that. It's fantastic. And so as we left there, I said to my wife, man, you know, this is my dream gig right here. And um, it's funny how when you say something and the next yeah. thing you know, and the next thing you know, I hear that the Beach Boys are looking for a guitar player. So liter it was literally four to six weeks later that I was subbing for Adrian Baker in New York City. So I went from never having considered it a possibility to seeing Brian and saying, wow, this is my dream right here. And then six weeks later, having your first shot at that, you know, it's weird. Uh, well, that's another, how do you, how come you can't fathom that in one sense, because it's sort of like, how did I get here? How am I doing this? And how the heck do, do I think that I should be up on the, on the stage? But then again, you're there mentioning some of those names. I mean, Adrian Baker, Philip Bargo, who was there. Then you had some other old school guys in the band, Mike Kowalski. Mike, uh, maybe was Mike Miros there at the time when you joined or was that? Those first few shows I did as a sub, yeah, Mike Maros was there. And then obviously you have Tim Tim himself, who's still with the band to this day. Guys who have been there, who had played with Carl, who had even played with Dennis. Does a moment like that, whether you're filling in for guys or actually in the band, does that sort of help calm the nerves down that you got you, with guys who are also touring musicians that have been there, done that? No, that didn't calm the nerves at all. <laughs> no. Um, you know, um, being a sub in any situation is very difficult because sure. everybody's everybody's comfortable with what the other guy does, sure. the, the regular guy. They're very comfortable with what he does. And when he's not there and you do something different, yeah. it doesn't mean that they like it better. It means sure. they're like, it means now they have to think about you. Like, what is he doing and why is he doing that? You know? So, you know, I knew that I had, I mean, I wasn't, don't get me wrong. I wasn't singing Adrian's parts, sure. you know, but I was just there to to sing and play guitar. Yeah. And then a couple months later, I uh, Phil asked me to sub for him, and I was there to sing it. And I yeah. I could never sing the well the way Phil sings. What a phenomenal voice that guy yeah. has, and Adrian too. I mean, they're just amazing. So yeah, I mean, it, I was definitely nervous. It was a different kind of gig for me because I you know playing on all those Broadway shows and things and all the sessions I did, I was just playing guitar. Sure. Now I had to sing a Beach Boy part, you know, which <laughs> is singing all the time, you know. Yeah. It's it's a different thing, you know. I, I'm a heck of a shower singer, if that on a good day. So trying to sing some of the songs in the shower or in the car is is difficult. So I give you yourself, I give Brian in the band and several other guys who were able to hit some of those notes a a a, a big uh, thumbs up because you got to have a lot of wind in your uh, lungs to be able to do that. Unfortunately sure. enough, when you then get that gig after um, Phil leaves for his solo stuff. What's the first few thoughts going in your head prior to the show, but then also when you realize and, and you're told that you you have the gig? It was a funny it was a funny thing because when he when he was working on a solo album, that was the time that uh, the band was booked for a tour of Europe, and so he said, "Why don't you just do this tour of Europe for me? Because I can, I'm going to work on my solo album." I said, "Great, you know." And I just gotten married. My wife and I went to Europe for our honeymoon. Then we came back. And then a couple weeks later, I left again for Europe for the summer. And I think, you know, I don't know how many weeks we were over there. And as I recall, Phil, you know, basically called and said, I'm, I'm just going to pursue my solo stuff. And so I actually didn't get asked. I was just in the room. And I heard I heard Mike say to Bruce, well, Phil said he's going to work on his solo stuff. So I guess we got Totten now. You know, and I was like, does that mean 
does that mean I have it full time? <laughs> and it did, you know, so I, it wasn't like, Hey, would you like, it was like, well, I guess you're it. <laughs> now I, I asked a, a guy who is succeeded as a musical director, Chris Farmer about joining the band and how he dealt with, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in front of him and how he was able to just calm down and just say, I'm playing music. And if I screw up, I'm going to get the can and get kicked out of the group. When you're playing there, whether, you know, as I said, a fill-in or at, or sub at, or as a full-time musician, how do you remember dealing with those first few shows or as a full member and you're sort of having to, you know, calm down, not stress out so much publicly? I mean, once you, it, once they say the gig is yours, then I, most of the stress should be gone, you sure. know? And I didn't think that when I was subbing for Phil, I, I didn't consider it a possibility that the gig would be mine. I just thought I was filling in for Phil. Yeah. And and then when my time was up, Phil would come back and I'd go back to doing whatever I was doing. So really, though, I think um, this may sound funny, but when I'm even today, but even then and today, when I'm on stage, if it's in front of 100 people or or 50,000 people, I'm worried about the eight guys on stage. Sure. Those are the ones I want to impress. Yeah, I want to impress them every night, make sure that I'm there for them. and They're there for me. And if we do that. I know that the audience is going to have a good time. So I'm not, I'm usually very rarely do I get worried or nervous about anybody in the audience or the numbers in the audience. As I mentioned, you succeed uh, Chris Farmer as musical director of the group. And when he leaves in 07, but then you take it over in 08, I believe at that moment, did you, do you find yourself wanting to, you know, have more of an impact in the beach boys and really help them more than just, you know, playing guitar and singing? Um, well, to, to some extent, before uh, Chris left, he was letting me do some of that. I remember I remember in that year, 2007 or so, I was talking with Tim and we were working out new sounds for the keyboard to make them more like a real horn because they were kind of synthetic sounding, you know. Um, so I remember Chris letting me do that and, and also um, a couple of songs too. I remember he let me uh, rearrange the vocals that we were doing on Sloop John B., so I went back to the record version. And also, um, if you recall, there was a time when Bruce missed a few weeks due to illness. And while he was gone, I taught the band Disney Girls or retaught right. them. Some of them had already done it. But um, so he was already letting me do some of those oh, things. Yeah. yeah. At, at that point, and, uh, although Mike is the end, I'll be, uh, the end decision of what songs get put on the set list, and he's the one making that decision back there, you play a role in that as well, putting the set list together. For you, taking on that role, was there any sense of, you know, I mentioned stress or maybe worriedness. Was there any worriness about put, helping put that set list together the first few times? Or was that a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I just get to do this with Mike, no big deal? Putting the set list together? No, I, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't stressful um, because it really does come down to Mike. I mean, Mike has a, he's got a pretty good system for how he likes the show to run. And so, you know, it's just... It's just, you know, well, one night we're outdoors in front of 8,000, and then the next night we're indoor in front of 800. <clears throat> so those can be very different kind of set lists. Sure. So we'll have an intermission or we're not going to have an intermission. So things like that. But um, when I first became MD, what was, if I was nervous about anything, it was just about the fact that I was going to bring in a change to the sound or the performance. Sure. and were the guys going to follow me on that journey or were they going to 
dig in their heels and say, oh, no, you don't. You know, this has worked just fine without you. Who do you think you are? Sure. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to Bruce and, and all the guys for, for, you know, allowing me to go back and kind of tweak things here and there and, and um, you know, kind of fine tune things. Was there, when you became the MG, was there any song that you were thinking of that you wanted to play that say, to, hey, Mike, can we, you know, play this song? Can we, or was it that just a moment of let's stick to the certain songs we've already been playing and that this is fine where it is? No, there's, there's definitely been songs along the way that I was just like, oh, it'd be great if we could do this song. How, how can I talk Mike into this song? And one of them for me is one of my favorite, favorite Beach Boys songs is Let Him, Let Him Run Wild. All right. So I wasn't aware that they had done it in many, many years, if at all, on tour. And so, um, I, as I recall, what I did was just I recorded all the vocals myself. And then I just, you know, played it back for everybody. A lot of times what I'll do is if I want to learn a song, I'll have all the guys work on it at soundcheck. Right. And then Mike will come in and it'll be ready. And yeah. he'll go and he'll go, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> we should do that. Yeah. Or he'll come in and go, I don't like that song. <laughs> yeah. So another song that I would love to do is The Girls on the Beach. Yeah. But Mike does not want to do that one. <laughs> so I started to rehearse it and he said, no, 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 you don't. <laughs> don't ask me why. I don't know why. <laughs> One of my questions, and I always, I'm always curious about this. When I had um, Paul Von Mertens on a while ago, I sort of asked him the same sort of thing. When a situation like Feel Flows comes out or uh, Put on the Passions, the box that comes out, and being that you're going on your, your the holiday sort of tour set with, with the Beach Boys coming up soon, how do you factor in a box set re-release of music into a set list, depending on you know where you're playing and whatnot? Okay, so that's a good question. And I, again, I have to hand it to Mike because Mike is very good at – Every year or every other year when they've re-released a package, you know, starting when I first joined the band, it was um, Sounds of Summer, right? Okay, so we were promoting Sounds of Summer for years and years and years. And so, you know, starting with going back a few years now and, and they, you know, re-released uh, like Friends yeah. in uh, 2020 and Wild Honey, we did 50, the 50th anniversary of Wild Honey. So as each one of those came out, then Mike would say, okay, well, which of these songs do you think would go well in our set? So I would listen to them all and I would write back and I'd say, what do you think about this one or that one? And he'd say, you know, yes or no to whatever. And we'd pick one or two. But the main thing is, you know, with the, with the Beach Boys show, you've already got, let's just say 90 minutes sure. of the core hits, right? And the things that you have to do. Uh, so then if you're going to play two hours, if you're going to play a two hour show, which is pretty a long show nowadays, yeah. um, that only means you can you can only add like, you know, five or six other songs that are not sure. greatest hits. And if you're going to play, if you're going to play a 90 minute show that becomes 100 minutes, then you can only play two or three other songs. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's the thing. So every time one of those th things comes out, we pick one or two songs that we're going to add to the set list. And then after that tour is over and the next year, if there's going to be a new box set out or a new reissue, then we go through the same process. Maybe we lose the two from Wild Honey and we you know, check out some songs from the new release and see if we can put a couple in. Does that answer your question? No, no, it answers it because I was curious about that the other day, um, seeing as you guys are going on the, the winter set list of, of the holiday songs and whatnot, and then the, obviously the box that's coming out in December, on top of the hit songs that they have, that the, the core songs, I was I was just thinking, you know, how is that, 
possible to do, adding in obviously a few new songs, but then the regular song. It, it's a process that I'm sure that you like delving into, but I'm sure it's stressful at some point for, for you and Mike. S- you know, speaking upon your relationship with Mike and, and yourself, obviously you've been in the group for so many years. What does it say, though, about your ability as a musician, but then also Mike and Jackie's you know, decision and, and viewpoint on your ability as a musician to be here for this long? Well, first of all, I'm very grateful to them. Um, they, they, you know, gave me a chance originally, and then they eventually put their trust in me to be the MD. And, um, you know, hopefully I've, I've continued to earn their trust, you know, yeah. uh, year after year. And, uh, you know, the band, the band sounds good and uh, things are rolling along well. So, you know, I, I appreciate them and, and, uh, and I have a feeling they appreciate me as well. Ten years ago, you know, this year, the Beach Boys had their 50th anniversary, and you were lucky enough to play with them on, on that tour. When you found out that that was happening, and then it actually comes to fruition, it's actually supposed to happen, what sort of pinch me moment did you have during the during that time with, with the group? I, at the very beginning, it was, well, I mean, through the whole thing, but at the very beginning, it was very chaotic because... Nobody was really talking to either to, to anybody. So I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't know if I was going to be a part of it or I didn't know what was going to happen. And then and then till finally I got a call that said, you and Castle are going and you have to be in L.A. tomorrow for the Grammys, you know, something like that. And I was like, well, all right. <clears throat> so. Um, but for me, night after night, yeah. a pinch me moment every night was when we got to the end of Heroes and Villains and I would conduct the and Brian would be watching me, watching me like a hawk. And I would I would look at him. Brian Wilson is watching me conduct him on Heroes and Villains. Somebody pinch me. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I, you know, God bless you for being there because obviously that song is one of the top songs in terms of, you know, difficulty, I'm sure, playing, but also singing. But also arrangements, and you're there with Brian himself, who put that song together. Another, I mean, although I wasn't there at the concerts, I sort of, you know, really got into the Beach Boys a little later after that. Although I was about 12 years old at that point, watching Full House with your compatriot John Stamos. But that tour, there are videos on YouTube of it, and it's when the Beach Boys, the band yourself, and the rest of the cast come on stage with. The, um, the children of the Beach Boy members, Brian's kids, Dennis and Carl's kids, Mike's kids, and you're all saying all oh, this is that on stage with them. And they'd also, I believe, the kids had sung that, you know, previously um, prior to the show starting. A moment like that when you're in that vicinity with all those kids, second generation, first generation Beach Boy people, was that another moment for you, a, a pinch me moment? Yeah, I mean, of course, that that whole tour and, and there were so many pinch me moments and unbelievable. Can you believe I'm at the Hollywood Bowl yeah. and I'm with these guys and here are their kids and then they're singing and, you know, it's, yeah, it, the whole thing was was pretty mind-blowing. On Wikipedia, it has the set list for the 50th anniversary tour and there's, a depending on the album, there's more songs than other uh, albums, depending on what it is. On that, and we've talked about how you put together with Mike the set list of if it, this time of year for the concerts. For the 50th, how do you choose with Mike and whoever else is involved Okay, we're gonna play five songs from today. Uh, Pet sounds are playing eight, whatever it is. How do you how did you go about that? It didn't it didn't really go like that. Um, the way it started was before we ever got together to rehearse. I was sent an email uh, of songs chosen by Brian, and we were in um, 
Mexico, I believe Acapulco, uh, Mike, Mike and the band and my oh, band, yeah. um, Mike's band, sorry. And uh, so we sat down before the show and I said, well, look, here's, here's Brian's list. And Mike said, yeah, all those look good. And then here's some from my list. So basically we started like that. And I think, I think that was around 43 songs. Oh, yeah. so we started off with about 43 songs. And so then we sent out that set list or, or song list to everybody that was going to play and all the crew and all that kind of stuff. And we went to rehearsals in LA. We rehearsed for, I can't remember how five days or something like that. We rehearsed those 43 or 44 songs. Once we got on tour, pretty much every day, somebody, one of the principals would say, why don't we do this song too? Uh, or, you know, um, maybe Paul would say, Brian wants to do this song now. And so we were adding, adding. And so that's why when the show started, when the tour started, we were at 43 or 44 songs. And when the show, when the tour ended, we were at 61 or 63. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that moment though, and that's, I mean, a three hour concert, if that maybe more of time more. talking about, you know, keeping focus and not getting nervous and how do you keep that energy in that environment already being the 50th anniversary, but how do you keep the momentum and energy going during a three hour plus concert like that? I think it helps that, I mean, first of all, that was the end towards the end of the tour. We yeah. knew the tour was ending. And, and so we were, you know, we wanted to go out. We were already done these songs a bunch of times and we were, you know, really, you know, firing on all cylinders. And I will say that, the British audiences tend to be the most appreciative of deep cuts. So yeah. you go over there and you do some song that you think nobody's heard and they give you a standing ovation. They just love it. Now, I don't know if that means they know it or if they just appreciate it. They listen yeah. real carefully and they're like, wow, that was great. I don't know, but it's always a treat to play the, for the British audiences. So speaking of the 50th anniversary, you're part of you, you with the band now as they enter their 60th anniversary compared to the 50th, What's it like to be part of the Beach Boys as they hit this milestone? Well, I mean, nothing can really compare to the 50th. There was yeah. just so much going on and so many people, and it was such a big to-do. And um, there was, you know, it was very stressful every day because um, because of the time. There was sure. very little time to get everything done, and there was so many, so many things that had to be done. And that was really the hardest part of my job was just, you know, watching the clock making sure we didn't nothing went overtime because you know there's a lot of employees that have to get paid yeah. overtime and you know then everyone would get mad at me well scott we ran late why'd you let that happen you know so but um so it's it's not quite as stressful to not have all those moving parts now sure with with my expand um we're kind of a well-oiled sure you know we're used to what we're doing and it, you know it just it just goes and goes and goes sure what I'm, what I found curious and interesting, you know, last year you guys had the Beach Boys cruise, the first one, and this year you guys will be doing it again. What's that like to be part of something new with the Beach Boys, um, all these years later? That was really fun. Um, I didn't know how fun it was going to be. I mean, it was, it was right as COVID was, you know, kind of receding. Sure. So we didn't know if are we going to get on this boat and everybody's going to get sick or you yeah. know, I don't know what's going to happen. So, um, but the ship and the people that work there were fantastic and all the fans that were on there were fantastic and the other bands were just amazing i mean the temptations sure. we've played with temptations many times but one night we went to go just watch their show not where we were opening for them or they were opening for us but they just did their own show yeah. and it was phenomenal i mean i was yeah. blown away but you know also mickey dolans was fantastic and you know there was a beatles tribute band and there was a 
um, a, a, a girl surf group called the, the Surfer Jets. So there was just all everywhere. There was tons of great music. Joe Piscopo had a show. I mean, there was just everywhere. There was music going on. And if you, you know, wanted to go hear music, there it was, you know, sure. it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm looking well, forward to this one. Sure. From your perspective, a fan of the music an academic of the music, to, for them to be as popular now as they still are, if not even more popular with all the things both Brian and Mike have done um, in their musical careers. What does it say to you that they're still around creating music, not just by themselves, but with other new artists, but also still touring constantly? I mean, it's, it's you know, there's there's only a handful of artists that you can say that about, that their music is still still very relevant today, still influential today still popular with all ages. I mean, that's, that's the key is, is, you know, my daughter's a, a 10 and, oh, well, of course she knows the Beach Boys cause she's been around me, but yeah. I mean, you know, kids, kids love Beach Boys music. Sure. Their grandmothers love Beach Boys music and everybody yeah. in between loves Beach Boys music. And so that is really something special. That's what I say. At this point in your career with the Beach Boys, is there something that you hope to, uh, a song you hope to sing before you, the close-up shop that maybe you haven't gone to. I know you guys have sung every song in the songbook, but is there one that you'd like to? Um, no, I mean, at, at this point, I think we've, you know, hit everything that I, more than I ever thought we would do. I mean, I, I never thought we would do Surf's Up. And, um, you know, so I'm just, uh, just very grateful, you know, and uh, enjoying it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the box set of the of the 19 of the uh, uh la light album or the 1985 album where there's some more deep cuts in there because i know you guys sing get your back which is a song i love from from that album but i'm looking yeah. forward to one day whenever that may be when they decide to uh, release the box set of that and come to a concert for that at, at the end of the day i mean as i said a successful musician being yourself how do you want people whether beach boy fans like myself and yourself or not remember your not just time with the beach boys but your time as a musician um, I just hope that, um, I always hope that when you come to our show, that you, you, you get what you expected. I mean, you get, you know, you know how the songs sound, you know how California Girl sounds. And when you come to hear us do it, I hope that you say, oh my God, that, that they did it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want you to come and say, eh, they did this kind of reggae version that I'm not <laughs> sure I like, you know, but that's yeah. what I feel. I feel like the audience, they, they know how these songs go and, and if we can pull it off, because it's they're not easy to pull off. I mean, the sure. vocal alone, you know, it's they're not it's not easy to pull off. So if that's all I hope when my sure. my time is done with the Beach Boys, I hope the fans say, you know, Scott did a good job being true to the music during sure. his time as MD. Some could say he was being true to his school. <laughs> yes. Um, before we end here and again, Scott, I want to say thank you a great deal for being on here. I want to end on a little segment called um, the One Word Challenge. Through this, I'll throw out a few names of people or places or things that have some connection to my guest and has to do his best to say a word or two or a sentence that best comes to mind. So are you ready? Okay. I'm uh, not, for, not first, ready. <laughs> first one, Florida. Florida. I mean, here I am. Here I am. It's Florida. Uh, it's hot. It's humid. Yes. Los Angeles. That's uh, the birthplace of it all and the birth, birthplace of me as well. On the day the first Beach Boys album came out, I was born. Uh, music. Obviously a great love of mine and, and yeah. Tennis. Also a great love of mine. I've, I'm telling you, the, just a ball traveling through the air yes. is a wonder to me. Yes. Uh, uh, success. Success. I hope I have some someday. <laughs> Mike Love. 
um, what what a work ethic this guy has. Yes. What a leader and what a singer and just, you know, really, he's fantastic. And last but certainly never least in this cosmic universe we all live in called Earth, Scott Todd. Uh, just a guy, <laughs> a guy who works hard. I, I don't know if I'd say, I don't know if like the masquerader said you're just an average guy. I think you're a, a pretty wonderful person. I think to come on the show this week for this episode, I, I appreciate gratefully for you to do this. So thanks again. Well, uh, thanks so much for asking me, and and thanks for helping me work out the schedule. And uh, it's been a treat. Of course, well, all those out there who enjoyed it, because who the hell went down the road when Scott wins a Grammy for whatever piece of music he's working on, both solo or with the Beach Boys? You're going to say, holy crap, I should subscribe. So subscribe, follow, comment, share all that fun jazz, because you're going to say, down the road, oh my gosh, the podcast, it was more successful than Joe Rogan. So please, for, for, for my safety, please do that. Uh, follow on Twitter, Nolan Clark Knight, and Instagram, Nolan Clark Knight Show. Scott, is there anything that you have to share or put out there for people to look out for? Just uh, everybody uh, be safe, be happy, listen to Beach Boys, and, and enjoy being outside. Well, in the words of Johnny Carson, the dean of talk shows, although not like this one, I bid you all a heartfelt good night, take care, and enjoy yourself, and I'll see you next week.